Good morning. So I don't know if you felt it or spotted it or whatever, but there just seemed to be uh, a theme in this morning's music that had a kind of uh, sweetness to it, sweetness in terms of our relationship with Christ, and and I felt like I could see people respond to that um, in their singing and just in terms of how they uh, held their bodies and things like that. And so I, I genuinely appreciated uh, the music this morning in that regard. As I was thinking about that music and how uh, it can elicit a kind of emotion into, in you about you know, the nature of our relationship with Jesus and the... Um, the, the kind of intimacy that is oftentimes associated with that. <clears throat> if we all could have that on a regular basis, then so many of the texts that I've been sharing with us these past few weeks would be unnecessary uh, because we would do for Christ and want to do. I, I was the type of person where I, I, growing up, if somebody did something for me, that was always a difficult thing. Because I always felt like I should be able to do that. That's true. I felt guilty that I, could, uh, that I couldn't figure it out and know how to do it. And, and then there are some really good people here who are very skilled and gifted at what they do. And so, uh, you know, they, they, they humbled me, uh, particularly here, because they were just so willing to be helpful with things. And so, um, but I always found that I wanted uh, to be able to help them back because I was so appreciative. And I think that in our relationship with Christ, because of all that he has done for us, there should be that same kind of sentiment, that you, you're so appreciative of what he did for us. Uh, his death on the cross, on our behalf, he that was without sin became sin so that the many might be saved um, should elicit in us a desire to do, to serve. This last song that we sang was one of those quintessential songs that had to do with submission and surrender to God. You know, submission and I submit to his authority. I surrender to his plan and his will for my life. Um, and so we're going to be talking a lot about that this morning as I prepared this message. Uh, there's a lot here. I don't think I'm going to get through all of it, and so I might have to pick it up again next weekend uh, and, and finish it. I want to take my time with it. I want you to feel completely free that if I'm covering over some passage or make some comment or whatever, and you feel like you need a better understanding of what it is that I said or what the passage means, or if you want to add to, um, please just raise your hand. It doesn't bother me at all. I'd love to get some feedback uh, from you in that regard. Uh, this topic that we're talking about really is the crucible of where the church has been and not been for quite a while. You know, we are facing some rather significant challenges, not just this church, but the church in general. And in many cases, not all, but in many cases, they are challenges of our own making. 
that we could have headed them off at the pass years ago had um, had the church as a whole, as an institution of Western civilization, been more aware and more on point than what they have been. So, um, nevertheless, uh, you know, Jesus anticipating that this would be the pro- a problem provided for us some great teaching on this very thing. And so what I want to do then is I want to go back to the original text that I spoke on. I'm just going to read through it. You can read through it with me if you like in your Bibles. And uh, and by the way, I, I just would encourage, I, you know, I know we put the, the text up on the screen. I know that many of you have your phones and you bring the text up on your phone. But if you have your, a Bible and you can bring it with you, I, I would just really encourage you to do that. Uh, use it as a kind of workbook. God doesn't mind if you write in the margins. Uh, I think he rather prefers it. Um, and uh, highlight and underline and, and, and those kinds of things because, um, you know, all this is good as long as there's electricity, but if you don't have electricity, then, then you have to default to this, and so you might as well just be good at this and use that as uh, a backup or whatever. So this is John chapter 15. And I'll be reading verses 1 through 11, and then verse 16. So John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, then 16. Now, before I get to this, too, I just want to remind you that, um, that you, you can break the gospel of John up into, like, thirds. And this particular text is at the latter half of the second third right before the final third. And the final third of the Gospel of John is about the passion of Christ. So this text here contains some of the final words that Jesus had to say to his disciples and followers. So if you are about to die, are your final words among the most important words that you have to say? Or are they like the most frivolous and shallow things that you would have to say? I would suspect that they are among the most important. So after all that he's taught, he's beginning to finalize his teaching. And, uh, and so we, we really begin to pick it up. It picks up speed here, uh, especially in John chapter 15. Um, and then we get into John chapter 17, which is the high priestly prayer. And from there we go into the passion of Christ. So this is a, a, a significant text that we're reading here. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. 
for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they are gathered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so that you will be my disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear much fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a, a deeper dive into this text. A more, I, I did a more of an exegetical overview of it last week. And so what we're going to do is explore more of what it means to produce fruit and how to produce fruit in terms of what Jesus is asking. Or Really, uh, you know, uh, some people might read this and say this is kind of like a parable. It is not. Some people might read it as uh, as a you know as an interesting metaphor, but it, it's this incredibly powerful and poignant metaphor, and it's um, it's commanding. There's nothing about this that is a suggestion. It's commanding. So, just a quick recap from. Um, what, and I just ignore the seven primary points there because I, I modified it since I put that in there and forgot to take it out. But just real quick, uh, just there are four kinds of branches that he's talking about here. Branches abiding in the vine uh, that do produce fruit, that kind of a branch. Branches that abide in the vine and that desire to be pruned to produce much or more fruit. Branches abiding the vine and that do not produce fruit. So they have some kind of a connection but are not producing fruit. And then branches who are not connected at all in, in a certain sense to the vine and they cannot produce fruit at all. They just don't produce any fruit at all. And so those would be unbelievers. You know, they may think culturally that they're Christian, but they have no connection to Christ at all. They're not abiding. And then there are some people just sort of reversing this who, who would say that they had a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, but there isn't anything about their life that is indicative of produce, the production of fruit at all. And then there are those people out there that uh, that are connected deeply to the vine, and and they 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 want to run hard, and they want to run long, and they want to they want to run with great effect. And they're saying, "Look, whatever it takes, show me, Lord. Whatever it takes, whatever I have to give up, show me, so that I can produce still more fruit." And then the the, the first kind is just people who abide in Christ, and they have a meaningful relationship with him, but the relationship they have is more one of cruising along. 
there isn't this sense of running hard and running long. So I have two primary questions to begin with. What is fruit? What is the fruit that he's talking about here? So when he says that you will produce much fruit if you abide in me, exactly what is he talking about when he's talking about fruit? Well, it seems to me that there are three kinds of fruit that he's talking about. Christ-likeness in character. So the, 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 the fruit in our lives that where our nature is more and more increasingly like Christ in his character. Multiplication of believers. So that more and more people come to faith. That is fruit. And third, glorifying God through the establishment of his kingdom. In other words, by our actions... Our impact, the way that we are salt and light in this world in which we find ourselves, we influence this world in such a way that our little portion, wherever we are, we found a way to make it more like heaven and less like hell. And when we do that, when we make our little portion more like heaven, when we are a manager... And we manage with justice and goodness and fairness. That's more like heaven. When we're on the job and everybody else is slacking, but you work with, um, with, uh, uh, with integrity, with intentionality, uh, then uh, what? Then then you are you are you are provi- providing an image and an example of what a heavenly work ethic would look like. So that even if you have to pick up the slack, you are still demonstrating that you have integrity in that regard. So those kinds of things. Well, what what does Christ likeness and character look like? Well seems to me that you really can't explore that without looking at Galatians 5, 22 through 25, where he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is, is, the, is the nature of Christ himself. So Paul records in this text, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, you could say, if we abide in the Spirit. So borrowing that term that's, in, that's distinctive of John, abide. If we live or abide by the Spirit, let us also keep step with the Spirit. 
Now, I have this list on it on another slide like this. And so on this next slide, these are the fruits of the Spirit. I wonder what it would be like if we made a point of taking that list, maybe getting a poster or a plaque or a picture, and we put it someplace prominently in our house where we had to look at it every day. I wonder if that could influence us. I mean, really, if we want to take on the character and the nature of Christ, it begins with this. Now, a while back, not this past year, uh, a few years ago, I believe that I did um, uh, a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And so I unpacked all of these, and I I don't have time to do that. Even in this series, it would just take me forever to do that, take me a whole new series to do that again. But it's telling to me, and I think that the Apostle Paul I don't know this to be true, but it seems to me that, you, that, that there's a, an emphasis in terms of priorities, maybe. That we begin our, our day, we begin our life with others in love, agape, an unconditional, sacrificial, noble kind of love. So picture then, if you would, the most difficult person that you have to deal with on a regular basis, aside from your spouse. Um, no, I'm kidding. But picture, if you would, the most difficult, challenging person that you have to work with on a regular basis. And then picture, if you would, overlaying this on their life. That you decide... That to this person, I'm going to be this thing. That'd be a challenge, don't you think? But what a great challenge it would be. And here's the interesting thing. That the more we overlay this on the people that we find really difficult in our life, the more God reveals to us where we really need to grow. It blows back. Right? It shows us how, what our deficits are in these kinds of ways as well. I mean, really, the most difficult person that you have in your life, are they really easy to love? Would they respect how you chose to love them? Would they appreciate how you chose to love them? Maybe not. Joy. When you get up in the morning, is your first thought or your first kind of like emotion or or, or sentiment joy? (laughs) I'm a morning person, so I've I've been a source of irritation to my wife for almost 40 years. (laughs) Isn't that true, hon? I used to love when we went on retreats with my students in youth ministry, my college students. I'd wake them up every morning. Rise and shine, give God your glory, glory, you know. Or, oh, what a beautiful morning, oh, what a beautiful day. They hated me. 
But I'm, I'm saying that, look, I think that the Christian, when they lead with love, they lead with joy. And that if you work in a challenging place, make it a point to enter that place joyfully. Not in a shallow sort of way, but joy that's rooted. You're joyful because you have good reason to be joyful. And you see that good reason. You're joyful because you see the opportunities that God has given to you. You're joyful because you see the blessings that he showered on you. Our world is not at peace. We are by far and away, without question, without anything. Look, there isn't even a galaxy that is nearby that has a group of people who, who are as medicated as we are because we are not at peace. And not only the adults, our children. I mean, we, that alone makes Big Pharma enormously rich. I think it's still true that Valium or Valium-type kinds of medications are the most prescribed drug in the United States. Antidepressants. Kind of odd, don't you think, that we live in the wealthiest country with the most stuff and we are probably the most depressed, most paranoid, most ill-at-peace people in the history of the world? Well, something's wrong somewhere. So I won't go down the whole list. I'll just say to you, look, do yourself a favor. Serve the Lord in this way. That if you think that you want to take on the character and the nature of Christ so that that fruit is flowing through you, copy this list, type this list, Buy a poster or a picture or a plaque and put it someplace. And every morning when you get up or before you go out, you look at that and you think about the people that you're about to engage, the things that you're about to do, and you say to yourself, I am going to be this to the best of my ability through the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit. Now, it... Just real honestly, do you think if we did that, that might change some of us? Do you think that might change how some people see us? Because I can promise you that if you lead with love, if you lead with joy, if you lead with peace, <laughs> that, that will set you apart in such a profound way that you will leave people scratching their heads. And that's just the first three. Goodness, for example, I remember when I was going to seminary, I had to take this Minnesota personality test or something like that. I can't remember what the test is, but I took it. And it came back. And part of the results said that I was faking goodness. So apparently they have some kind of metric by which they measure goodness in the average person. And so the way in which I answered the questions put me outside, you know, that parameter 
And so they concluded that I was lying about what I, how I was answering the questions. But how I answered the questions were guided by my faith. So that's how I answered the questions. So if you're an exceptionally, if you try to be an exceptionally good person as the Holy Spirit leads you, then you're just going to look different. And for many people, that will be alluring. They will want that for their own life. And for some people, it will offend. So in any case, I just would like to challenge everybody here to do something with this so that the fruit in our lives is increased because we've taken on the character and the nature of Christ using the fruits of the Spirit. Does this make sense to everybody? Okay. Multiplication of believers would be the second way in which we understand fruit. Multiplication of believers. Now, several times, and I would say uh, maybe a couple of years ago, two or three years ago, I, I spoke on something like this, and I talked about how, like, for example, I posed this question. Why doesn't the good news sound like good news anymore today? Why doesn't the good news sound like good news to most people in the world today? Because, because, okay, okay, because we're spoiled. That would certainly be one part of it. Rebellion. Okay, all right. What's that? We don't believe it. We don't believe, it. We don't believe it's really good news. What else? We don't and we don't accept it. Okay, very good. Some other reasons why most people don't see it as good news? Because there's so much negative. People just can't see through the negativity, right? Yeah. They don't trust it, right? It'll betray them in some fashion or another, right? Um, I think that some, for many people, they just don't think it's necessary. You know, I mean, in, in a very sort of coarse and crude way, for most of humanity, the existence of humanity, They've always been terrified of death. Always been terrified of death. Because they were made in the image of God. And they knew that image was compromised. And they knew that they were not living just and righteous lives intuitively. And because God is omnipresent, because he speaks through the created order, they had this foreboding sense that there was a God that they had offended, even though they couldn't identify them, and, and somehow they needed to make it right, but they had no idea how to make it right, and they were terrified that they would die and be judged and be punished. So the good news sounded really good, because for the first time they heard that there was assurance that this person made um, some kind of uh, uh, 
arrangement for their sin that they could not fix. But in today's world, there's such a heavy dose of, well, God doesn't really exist. So you don't really have to worry. I mean, when you die, you just cease to exist. So it doesn't matter what you do while you're here on earth. It just doesn't matter. And that is a regular part of what is discussed in the world of higher education. Or, God is all loving. And he doesn't punish sin. And so, you know, you don't have to worry because nothing bad will happen to you because Jesus loves you regardless of what you do or don't do. Well, look, and they will say, because God is gracious, (laughs) which is true. But if you lead with only grace, remember, grace is only meaningful Because of the ever-present possibility of judgment. If you take away judgment, there is no need for grace. So if judgment is not a possibility, grace is never a necessary reality. Does this make sense to you? So the good news is really the good news. And somehow, through how we live in Christ, how the fruit of the Spirit manifests itself in us, how we choose to intentionally engage people, how we intentionally build relationships with people so that we can have some kind of a meaningful conversation with them to really begin to probe and to question And to get them to think differently about their relationship with God and with Christ. So there's no question about it. The world in which we live in is gospel hardened. But that's no reason for us to throw our hands up and say, ah, forget it. No. It's all the more reason for us to become even better, sharper, more dedicated. Multiplication of believers. We have this iconic text, right? The Great Commission, Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, says Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now he says, therefore, go and make disciples. He doesn't say make converts. He says disciples. Converts is implied. Discipleship is the goal. Teaching them everything I commanded you. This is one reason why I spend so much time on teaching. Because it has become clear to me that much of Christendom have a faith that's about an inch deep and a mile wide. 
And we have to change that. Of all people, we should be the most wise. Of all people, we should be the most informed. Of all people, we should be the most articulate. Of all people. Because the cloud of disillusionment and misinformation about who God is, is so dense. We have our work cut out for us. Number three, glorifying God through the establishment of God's kingdom. Matthew 6, uh, 53. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 33. Very simple text. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That God will provide all that we need if our primary goal in life is just to seek first his kingdom. To do and to live, to arrange our lives, what we are responsible for, our resources that he's given to us in ways that advance the kingdom of God. So that in everything that we do and say, it's more reflective of heaven than it is of hell. So the second question then that I, I think it's important to ask from the outset here is how is fruit produced for the believer? How is it produced? How do we do fruit? How do we produce fruit in our lives? Well, we go back to that John 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 5 text, where he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So the first thing that we have to understand is that we have to abide. Now, I mentioned to you last week, and I think, look, so in my, in my research, now it's not been exhaustive, but let me just say in my research on this biblical text, I didn't see anything that compared the term, the phrase abide, that John uses, I think, 56 times in all of his um, writing with the the phrase that Paul uses in his so there are there are there are three primary great biblical traditions in the new testament the gospels the synoptic gospels Matthew Mark and Luke where the main theme of the gospels is the kingdom of god the johannine literature all the letters written by John which would be John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in the book of Revelations. And then uh, uh, all of the Pauline epistles. And in all of the Pauline epistles, Paul repeatedly, again and again and again, uses this phrase, in Christ. To be found in Christ. John uses the word abide in Christ. Abide to abide in Christ and to be found in Christ are synonymous. It's fascinating to me that in two of the of these these dominant kinds of literature in the New Testament, that this idea to be intimately connected to Christ is a dominant theme both in John and a dominant theme in the Apostle Paul. So what does that say about us? What are we supposed to do? 
How are we supposed to be found in Christ to abide in Christ? Well, John says earlier in his gospel, John 6, 54 through 56, he says this, which is pretty dramatic. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now, he is not saying literally, I want you to eat my flesh. Literally, I want you to drink my blood. But he's basically saying, I want you to consume me so that when you consume me, you, you know, I don't become like you, but you become like me. We are what we eat. And so if we consume Christ, his teaching, everything that he says about himself, so that what we consume of him makes us into him. So if we want to um, produce fruit, then we become like Christ. So, mammals don't produce reptiles. You know what a mammal is. Warm-blooded, produces milk, gives birth to live young. Most reptiles are cold-blooded, do not produce milk, uh, and uh, lay eggs. There are a few species of snakes that give birth to live young, but most reptiles lay eggs. So why don't zebras give birth to reptiles? Because zebras can only do what zebras are made to do. Reptiles can only do what reptiles are made to do. The more we become like Christ, we would do the things that Jesus would do if he were us in the here and now. So, if there's a dearth in the world where the church is, if there's a dearth of Jesus-like things happening, it means what? What does it mean? There aren't enough of us who look like Christ. Right? That's what it means. Because the more you and I become like Jesus, the more we would do the things that Jesus would do. It's as simple as that. If we want to produce fruit, we become like Christ. So again, I'll go back to that fruit of the Spirit thing. The more we practice the fruits of the Spirit, the more we become like Jesus, the more we will produce the things that Jesus would produce. So there, there is that necessary relationship between those things. So let me conclude then by these, with these two questions, and then I'll pick up the rest of this next week. But let me conclude with this question, two questions. What kind of branch are you? Of the four different kinds of branches, what kind of branch are you? Are you the branch that produces some fruit as you cruise along in your faith? Are you the branch that 
that is partnering with God where you want to be pruned so that you can produce still more? Are you the branch that basically hangs out with the people of God, the things of God, but there's just no fruit in you? Or are you the branch that really you have no relationship with Christ at all? What branch are you? And the second question, what is the evidence you would offer that you are that kind of branch? What is the evidence? I mean, what's the taste test here? So I think maybe as we go home this week, we should wrestle with this. So if I'm really honest with myself, I'm this kind of a branch. And some of us might say, and I'm encouraged by that. But maybe some of us might say, you know, if I'm really honest with myself, I am this kind of branch and that should terrify me. Because this is a metaphor that where Jesus is speaking here. This metaphor is the end of the metaphor is a terrifying metaphor. That the branch that does not produce fruit is cut off, thrown away, and burned. And the implication being hell. So as we leave here this morning, be encouraged. Because, look, I I know that as a pastor, some of what I said this morning could be discouraging or offensive. But I share it with you this morning because it's necessary. And now you've heard it. And now you have an opportunity to do things differently. That this could be your watershed moment in your life. Where you can say, I know that I am connected to Jesus and I know that I I love him and I trust in him. But I know that there are some things in my life that I need to drop like a bad habit so that I can produce more in my life. I know that. And maybe there are some people here that you might have been cruising so long that there really isn't any fruit coming from your life. If I were to ask you, what fruit is, can you look back over the course of your life? What fruit have, has your life produced so that it can give you confidence that describes the nature of the relationship that you have with Christ? What would you say? And then what would you say if you just have one of these like cold water in the face experiences where you're like, you know what? The truth of the matter is I have no relationship with Christ at all. And if something were to happen to me in the here and now, I have zero confidence that I would be with Christ in heaven forever
So I think these would be really good things for us all to think about, to mull over. And if you want to talk with me further about that, you can call me up and I'll come visit you and we can talk more. If you are confused about any of that, I'm glad to try and help make some of that more clear to you. Glad to do that. And we have people here at the church that would be glad to do that. 